All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you, God, for your goodness. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for loving us, God. And we thank you, Lord, for these folks that are here, God. And Lord, the folks that are tuning in at home or will be here shortly, God, pray that you'd bless us all. Uh, God, those folks that would like to be here, God, and Lord, because of the present circumstances can't be, God, I pray that you'd bless them and help them. Lord, I know, God, being at a church as long, God, as, as folks are, God, it can't help but start to have an effect on you. And, Lord, folks' hearts uh, long to be back with God's people. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help them, God, help us through this time. God, pray that you'd watch out over us. God, pray that you'd bring this whole catastrophe, Lord, to a speedy uh, conclusion. God, we do pray for your mercy, God. Lord, no doubt in my mind that, God, there's no doubt in my mind, Lord, that this is an element of judgment, God. And I say an element, God, and really that's exactly what it is, God. Don't intend to take away from that at all. But, God, I pray, Lord, in judgment, Lord, that you'd remember mercy. God, pray that, Lord, you'd be merciful to us, God. And, Lord, even some folks that, God, according to our standards, Lord, may not deserve it, God, and possibly, Lord, even some folks, God, according to your standards that don't deserve it, God, pray that you'd be merciful anyway. Uh, Lord, pray that you'd help us, God. Lord, watch out over us. We'll thank you for it. Bless, most importantly, God, most of all this morning, pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. God, pray that you'd bless the Sunday school hour. Speak to our hearts, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 3. Let's take a look at this issue of chastening. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. So brings you into a situation here. Uh, where you're talking about chastening. I'd be honest, this is really kind of an interesting set of verses to be found right here in the middle of Proverbs chapter 3 because the book of Proverbs, as you well know, deals largely with the relationship of a father to, the, to a son. It deals with uh, familial relationships in the sense of earthly things. And so to find a couple of verses right in the middle of the chapter to where he, uh, Solomon is giving advice to his boy, obviously my son. That's why he starts out with my son in verse 11. But he starts out giving advice to his boy about the chastening of the Lord uh, towards, towards his son. It's kind of, it's not really out of character, but it's just a little bit different than uh, the tone, than the tone of the book, I, I guess you should say. Or I guess I could say. So just a little bit of an observation there. Not saying that God is not anywhere in the book. I'm not trying to say that at all. That's obvious. God is all throughout the book and how a man relates to his God, uh, that's throughout the book. But he talks about, he says, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord. So anyways, we'll get on with the, with the lesson this morning. Let me just define the word chastening to you, or to chasten. Webster defines that as to correct by punishment. To correct by punishment. To punish is what he says, to inflict pain for the purpose of reclaiming an offender. And so immediately you start to hear all the liberals how and all the politicians how, all of the modern-day politicians, I should say, they start crying and whining about, man, you're absolutely ridiculous to inflict pain on anybody. But there's a purpose behind why God allows punishment and allows pain to come. It's really hard to get a hold of somebody's attention if you, can't, if, if you don't inflict pain on them. Uh, unless, unless there is a... A history there, there's been a foundation laid already 
of you getting a hold of somebody's attention by pain beforehand. For example, uh, a policeman has the ability to tell a citizen, a good citizen, hey, slow down, don't, don't be speeding. And the incentive behind that is if you keep speeding, I'm going to write you a ticket. That's pain. Well, that is not going to be much of a threat to the fella if, if he... It's not going to be much of a threat to the citizen if there's no frame of reference that's already been laid possibly in the fellow's childhood or some other place in his life. For example, mama's told him to do something and he didn't do it, and so mama tanned his hide. And so there's, there's, a, there's a frame of reference that's laid. There's a foundation that's laid. I feel about like my words are coming out like spaghetti noodles this morning. I'm trying to get my thoughts in order, and it's not working too well. But nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, you, you're going to have a hard time getting a hold of somebody's attention if, there's, if pain has not been induced beforehand. It doesn't necessarily have to be physical pain as far as bodily pain, but there's got to be some incentive to men to do the right thing, which speaks largely about one particular thing, and that is that man's tendency is to go down, not up. Man, man is not made, man, and I, I say he's not made, that's a wrong way to say it, but man's n natural state of being is one of dissension. It, his natural state of being, as far as fallen nature goes, his natural state of being is to devolve, not to evolve. And so on that basis, you've heard it said time and time again from this pulpit, from Brother Mike and possibly some other preachers, that on that basis you can understand that evolution is a crock. Evolution is just absolutely foolishness. Listen, the thing that absolutely demolishes the idea of evolution is not the fact that uh, you take a dog and put him in the Arctic and... You know, he's not going to grow a, a thick fur coat. That's, that's what folks will point to. They'll point to little things about you take this organism and put him in these set of circumstances and he'll adapt to live in those circumstances. Well, men will do that. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't prove anything. Dogs will do that. Germs will do that. Uh, you, you pump a person's body with enough antibiotics for long enough and after a while, a germ, some kind of bacteria or virus, it becomes immune to that treatment. That doesn't prove evolution. That doesn't prove evolution. The surest proof that you know that evolution is incorrect is look at a man's morals. How come those never get better? And the only way, listen, the only way that a man's morals get better is God intervenes. A man left to himself takes the world and everything around him to the pits. He takes it right down to hell with him right where he's going. And until God intervenes, the whole world's going to go to hell. The whole, the whole thing's just going to fall apart until God intervenes. That's the way it works on an individual basis. That's the way it works on, on a national basis. That's the way it works with the entire world. This world's been delivered over to the God of this world who is not who is not the Lord. The Lord is in control in the sense that the devil doesn't do anything unless God gives him permission to do so. I understand that, but the God of this world is the devil by far. And so the whole world's going to fall apart until one day the Lord comes back and kills everybody that's trying to run the thing against him and sets it up the way that he wants it to be set up. I, 
evolution doesn't work. Marx, uh, Karl Marx's idea of how government's supposed to be run, socialism, it doesn't work. And the reason that it doesn't work is not because men don't have the opportunity, they don't have the ability to share, it's because they don't want, the, they don't want to do it. There's something in their heart that's against that. And the, you, could talk about, you could talk about all kinds of different forms of government. Why I'm on this, I don't know, but I'm going to run this rabbit trail anyway. You talk about all kinds of, form of forms of government, which form of government in the best, which the Bible teaches is a monarchy. It's not a democracy. Democracy is mob rule. And by the way, the United States of America is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. That's much different than a democracy. But we're not going to give a lesson in civics or social studies this morning, but it's, it's foolishness. But the, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But uh, you, could talk about, you could talk about what all forms of government are the best, and just to be quite frank with you, they're all bad. All of them are bad, and the reason that they're bad is because men are in charge. Until you get to a place to where you can have a form of government where a sinless man is sitting on a throne, you're going to have problems. It's only a matter of time before the whole thing falls apart because that's what men do. They head down. They don't go up, they go down. And so whether that's the United States, whether that is Europe, uh, any of the nations in Europe, whether that's any nation on the continent of Africa, or whether it be China, or whether it be New Zealand, whatever it is, you give it enough time and the thing's going to fall apart. And it doesn't mean that I enjoy the process. It doesn't mean that I'm looking forward to that. But that's just, that's a realistic sense of a realistic point of view. The whole thing's going to fall apart, and the reason that it's going to is because of one thing, men. We're sinners. One day, somebody will come, he'll come back, I should say, and he's going to set things up the way that he wants them set up, and it's going to be right, and it's not going to go down in the sense of his rule. The thing that will take it down, I'm, I speak of the millennium, the thing that will take it down is men, but he'll address that. He'll take care of that. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it by setting up the millennium. And then when men try to ruin the millennial reign, he's going to take care of that too. The problem has always been and always will be man. And the way that God gets a hold of men's attention, the way that the way that men get a hold, or the way that God gets a hold of men's attention, and the way that oftentimes you have to get a hold of, uh, say, your children's attention. The way that that has to be done is by inflicting pain, not torture. It's not torture. And listen, just because mama and daddy whooped you, that doesn't mean that they were torturing you. That was, pro that was, that was not probably. That was one of the best things they could have ever done for you is inflict pain on your rear end. God designed that place on your body with extra padding so it wouldn't kill you right? Okay, well, God, they do that, and that's a, that's a grand benefit for you. You say, why? Because that gets a hold of your attention, so now that they can impart in instruction to you, that instruction is called correction. That's correction. Now, that was a lot to say just for trying to define the word chastening. So, the instruction is to not despise. It's, not, it's to not to despise chastening. So, obviously, there's a propensity 
to despise chastening. But on top of the propensity, on top of the, uh, the inclination, there is a, there's a tendency to despise it. You get in the middle of a situation to where somebody's inflicting pain on your rear end or inflicting pain in some other aspect of your life, the tendency is to look at that and say, I hate this. And let me, let me try to do my best to take a balanced outlook on this, on this attitude of receiving chastening. <clears throat> the reason that chastening works is because there's an element there that you don't enjoy it. If, if you take a fella who just hardens himself towards, towards chastening, uh, you look at kids that do this, you can look at uh, Christians that do this towards the Lord. You can, uh, grand opportunity is to look at what's going on in the world. A couple of preachers, I know of two preachers that have stood up. Uh, they say they're preachers. I take them at their word. I don't really know much about what they believe. But they stand up and start saying that this coronavirus stuff is the judgment of God, and the world flips out on them. Well, what you have is you have a group of people that are now starting to harden themselves against the pain, against the instruction that God is trying to convey to them. And what you're, what you're heading towards or what you're in the middle of because of that, what you're in the middle of is a group of people that cannot be corrected, just can't, can't receive correction. Uh, mom and daddy, you, you, whoop a, you whoop a kid for so long and the kid hardens, his, he hardens himself towards that to where the pain doesn't get a hold of his attention anymore. What can you do with the guy? What can you do with the girl? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a grand possibility. I've seen that in my own life as far as folks that I know. Mom and daddy try and deal with the kid and deal with the kid and deal with the kid. And the kid just hardens themselves and hardens themselves. And make no mistake about it, oftentimes what's going on is somebody's in the background encouraging that kid to harden themselves against mama and daddy, against their correction. Sometimes that's grandma and grandpa. That's dangerous. If that's the case, let me just say this in passing. If that's the case in your life, if if what you have going on in, in your life is that you're trying to instill discipline, you're trying to correct your children, and grandma and grandpa are usurping that process of correction, they're trying to overthrow that process, and they're being successful at that, let me make a recommendation to you. Pack your family up and move 800 miles away. Really? I say that without apology. And I, if you want to talk further about that, I'll talk to you about that after the service, and I'll recommend you to a fellow who would tell you the same thing, and he'll be able to explain it to you better than I could because it happened to him. Absolutely, absolutely. Pack your family up. Get away from the people that are trying to usurp that that process of correction. Just pack up and leave. You say, well, where am I going to go to church? Pray for one. You say, well, what am I going to do for work? Well, I don't, I don't really know what you're going to do for either one of those situations, work or go to church. I don't know what you're going to do, but are you willing to sacrifice your kids? Are you willing to sacrifice the sanity of your children so that you can have a stable job and a place to go to church? 
Now listen, I'm not telling you to get out of, out of church and I'm certainly not telling, you not to, to, I'm not telling you to be a bum. All I'm telling you is that if the thing that's keeping you here is, well, that's my mom and that's my daddy and I don't want to stick around them and that's what's killing your kids, that's what's killing the grandkids, pack up and leave. Pack up and go, man. Get away from grandma and grandpa. If grandma, <clears throat> I don't know why, but I, I get a little... I, I do know why, but I get a little irritated about this, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, either way, let me just say it. I get a little irritated about this because you, you take a sympathetic attitude towards your familial connections, and it's almost like that causes people to lose their minds. I'm here, listen, I'm here, and so let me just ride this right into the ground. <clears throat> One of the best things that ever happened to me and my wife and if you have your family living around you, this is not a pot shot at you. I'm just telling you, for me and my wife, the way that we grew up, the way that we were, and I've told my wife this, and I think she agrees with me. At least when I told her this, she acted like she agreed with me. One of the best things I believe that ever happened to me and my wife is when me and Heidi got married, her parents went back to Missouri, and my parents left and went to Virginia. That was the best thing that ever happened to us. And the reason that that was the best thing is because it allowed us to make some mistakes. Let me throw one other thing in there. One of the best things that ever happened to us was that we got in this church. Because what we had is we had a process to where mom and daddy weren't constantly breathing down our necks, either side of the family. They weren't breathing down our necks and telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. The advice was there when we solicited for it. Yes, sir. Grandma and Grandpa, mind your own business. When, when husband and wife get married, that's a new home. That's a home in which mama and that's a home in which Grandma and Grandpa are not part of. You wouldn't appreciate it if son-in-law or daughter-in-law came into your house and were telling you what to do. Would you? I, I know you wouldn't. So do them the same favor and stay out of their business. You say, but they're young and dumb. You were too at one time. Give them a chance. Let them make mistakes Heidi and I have made plenty of mistakes. My parents and her parents never stepped in and said, Hey, hey, quit doing that. Just mind your own business and pray for them and pray that they have enough guts and grace to come to you when they need a problem, when they have a problem. Pray that they have enough grace to come to you and say, Hey, we got a problem. We need some advice. We both did it. Heidi and I both, at least I think Heidi has. I, I know I have. I know I've gone to my dad several times. I know I've gone to my father-in-law several times. Hey, I got this situation. I don't really know what to do. He'd tell me exactly what he thought, and I'd take it in stride. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Let them be a house. Let them be a house. And listen, if, you, if you're trying to raise a family and you can't, you can't get mama and daddy to stay out of your business, you can't get mama-in-law mama, mama or father-in-law to stay out of your business, pack up and move. Pack up and move. Just leave. 
Well, I can't, I can't do that. That's their daughter. I can't do that. That's, that, wouldn't just, that just wouldn't be fair. It's not right. It's not right that they sit there and interfere in the affairs of your home and run it right into the ground. Listen, it's real simple. It's real simple. I have no idea why I'm on this, but I'm going to go with it. It's real simple. They don't live with your wife. You say, but they did. They don't now. They don't live with your husband. You say, but they did. They don't now. You have, to, you have to establish your own house. You have to establish your own home. I'm not telling you that you have to be independent in the sense of you can't tell me what to do. That's just, that's rebellious. That's, that's ignorant. But at the same time, if mama and daddy's got a leash on you and you can't break loose from that leash, pack up and leave. Pack up and go. Get out. Quit Cut the umbilical cord, fellas. Quit being nourished by mama and daddy. That's right, man. I don't, I don't understand what would cause a married 35-year-old fella to want to still be living like he's under mama's dominion. That, listen, my, my daddy, my daddy has offered several times to help me financially. And uh, my dad also understands, which I, I greatly appreciate this, my dad also understands that there's an element of male pride that if he's not careful, he'll wound. You say, well, that's foolish. Well, that's what helps me stay independent. That's what helps me stay being a producer. If daddy's sitting back and cutting checks left and right, then what's, what's the need to go to work? That's, that's exactly what you've got going on in this society. Mom and daddy writing checks left and right to where hey, there's no incentive. There's no incentive to go to work. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. He's hungry. <laughs> That's why if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. If a man's not working, quit feeding him. You say, that's mean, that's cruel. No, it's not. That's sanity. It's sanity because what that does is that takes what's called initiative in the man's heart and makes him want to get out and, hey, I'm hungry. I'm tired of eating lima beans for every meal. Of course, I like lima beans. I enjoy lima beans and cornbread. But for every meal... I get kind of tired of that after a while. So, hey, the reason that I go out and work is because every once in a while I like to eat hamburgers. That's called initiative. And so what you got is you got a bunch of jackleg politicians sitting in D.C. saying, well, we'll just cut checks for everybody. What they're doing is they're becoming like a sorry mom and daddy, which is exactly what Marx wanted to do, let the state become their father. And so you just keep writing checks, and what it's going to do is it's going to bankrupt a man's initiative. And then you'll get to the place eventually to where nobody wants to produce anything, because why should I? <laughs> Socialism never works. It doesn't work in a nation. It doesn't work in your, in your home. So you don't call it socialism if it's in your house. But it's the same principle. Mama, I need, I need. Okay, work for it. Daddy, I, I need some help. Okay, work for it. 
That's right. And I'm not, I'm not telling you that you can't help your kids. I'm not telling grandma and grandpa that you can't help your kids if they get in a bind. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is you've got to take into consideration where they are in their maturity. And sometimes you helping them is going to hurt them. That's right. That's right. Anyways, let's get on with the Sunday school lesson, although that was part of it. It's true nonetheless. So you've got a propensity to despise the chastening, and there's an inclination to it, and that, that inclination is largely what makes the correction successful, that inclination to despise it. That's what makes it. No man enjoys pain. No man enjoys discomfort. And so that's what makes correction, in a sense, that's what makes correction successful. Uh, people that don't mind pain or, or people that can't recognize pain, they're not, you're not going to have much success in correcting them. You've got folks going around the country looking at this coronavirus and saying, it's not the judgment of God, this is just destiny, this is just Christians, this is, you know... The, the old thing of karma, which I'm not going to go into that a whole lot, but, you know, this is just the way that things were destined to be. No, it's God. God's doing it. Okay, well, if you numb your mind to the fact that God is behind all of this stuff, you say, well, it's the devil. The devil's the killer. The devil's the destroyer. I understand, but God will cut him loose. Book of Job. Don't have time to teach through the book of Job this morning, but God will cut him loose. And when that takes place, listen, when that takes place, when a man sits there and ignores the fact that God has any, any uh, involvement in that process, he's to the point to where he's developed a philosophy of mind to where he can't be, cor- he can't be corrected. It's a philosophy that circumvents correction. Just can't, can't take it, can't, can't take correction. You remember Balaam in Numbers 22. Balaam, that story in Numbers 22, that whole process is really, really, it's a wild, uh, it's a a wild exposition on on the heart of a man. Balak saw Israel, he was a king of Midian, and he saw saw, uh, Israel come forward, and he had heard of the terror of God that was surrounding the nation of Israel, and he called for Balaam, and he said, hey, come curse me this people. And so he sent princes from, Balak sent princes from his kingdom and said, hey, go call Balaam. And they get down there and they say, hey, Balak wants you to come curse Israel. And Balaam says, he says, I can't do that unless the Lord gives me liberty to. He said, stay, tarry here this night and I'll pray and see if the Lord gives me leave. So he tarries, they tarry that night and during the middle of the night, God comes to Balaam and says, don't go. And so he gets up next morning and says, God won't give me leave. He said, God won't let me go. And so they go back to Balak, and Balak says, I ain't taking no for an answer. He said, go back and tell him that I'll make him a rich man. I'll make him a wealthy fella. And so they go back, and they say, hey, the king said that if you'll come, he'll, he'll give you all his coffers of silver and gold. And he says, let me pray about it, just like a false prophet. You start talking money. Well, we'll start talking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I bet you will, you old rascal. So he gets down there and he, he says, tarry with me this night. And so they tarry again that night. And they, he gets a vision from the Lord. God comes to him and says, if the men rise up in the morning and call for you, he says, go with them. So you know what Balaam does the next morning? He gets up and goes with them. The men didn't call for him that morning. 
They called for him the night before. That's not what the Lord said. Go back and look at it. They didn't call for him that, that morning. They called for him the night before. The Lord said, hey, if they get up, if they call for you in the morning, go with them. So he gets up and he goes with them. And on the way, the Bible, the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Balaam. It's funny. It's funny how a little bit of green, a few couple of greenbacks will distort your perception of the will of God. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got an opportunity to make 15, 20 hours overtime and miss Wednesday night church service. It's got to be the will of God. There's great success in this. That depends on how you define success. So, but nonetheless, so he gets out there and he starts heading down over there going to Balak and he's riding, the Bible says, an ass. I'm not saying that irreverent, irreverently or, or uh, loosely. That's what the Bible calls it. It says, it says it was an ass. And so he mounts up on this beast of burden and he starts heading out there and he gets in this path. And I believe the first time he gets out there, he gets into the, on this path with fields on either side. And the ass looks up and sees the angel of the Lord, and Balaam doesn't see it. See, there's a sermon in there. Because he's got money in, in his sights, he can't see other things. But anyways, he gets up there, and, he, and he, this ass sees this angel of the Lord, and the ass veers out, and so makes Balaam mad. Wham! Hits, hits that beast of burden, gets her back in the... In the, uh, in the path and then he gets into a place on that path where it's a narrow way and there's a wall on either side sees the angel of the Lord wham went, lands right up against the wall crushes his foot makes him mad and I think that's actually the third time I forget what the second but it takes place to where eventually this ass just sits down just right in the middle of the place just sits down and boy it makes Balaam fly off the handle just and he starts wailing on this mule, starts wailing on this beast. And the Bible says that God opens the mouth of this ass. And she starts talking to him and says, how long have I been your beast of burden? He, you know, whatever. And she says, was I ever want to do this before? Well, no. You know what, you know what the Lord was trying to get him to do? The Lord's trying to get him to slow down and think about what's going on. Now, listen, you're heading down a path, heading for a particular place. Balaam, Balaam doesn't apparently have enough sense to discern exactly what the Lord said because he's interested in that money. So he doesn't have enough sense because he's got his heart and mind set on money. He doesn't have enough sense to really figure out what God is saying. And so he starts going out and he does wrong. And then here's all this stuff that starts popping up. All of this stuff starts going haywire. And so he sits there and goes, why is all this stuff happening to me? And he never stops to think, hey, hey man, maybe the Lord has set his hand against you. Maybe God is doing this. No, it's just my beast of burden, the thing that I'm riding in, my car. It's just, you know, the starter went out. It's just by chance. Sometimes the Lord will do that and you're doing right, but I'd be asking questions. So Balaam's got all these problems with his beast of burden, and he never stops to think, man, maybe God is doing this to me. And so God opens the mouth of this ass, and she says, hey, what are you doing? I've never done this to you before. Huh. Yeah, that's true. The Bible says right after that, the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword, sword in his hand. 
So here you have a Christian or you have a lost man who goes up against something. He's got something in his heart that he's trying to do and the hand of God goes out against him and he never stops to think, maybe God's doing this. It's just fate. It's just destiny. It's just, hey, we have this disease that's running around the country. We have this virus that's running around the country and this is just one more thing that man will overcome. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God's mad with man? (laughs) Duh. Well, see, you get to the place to where you have your heart set on what you want to do. You got your heart set on money. You got your heart set on perversion. You got your heart. You can't see any of that stuff. And so God can keep piling on the pain. He can keep pouring the pain on. And it's just running off. It's running out of your mind like water off of a duck's back. Just not even considering. Don't, doesn't matter. Does, makes no difference. Until you stop and think about it. If you, just, if you just stop and give it some consideration, maybe the Lord will open your eyes. I recommend when something like that comes up, when something like that goes haywire in your, in your life, I recommend you stop and at least pray about it. Lord, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't know of anything in the Scripture that prohibits me from doing it. And it seems like every time I'm doing it, God, it seems like something's coming up and stopping me. Lord, would you show me what's going on? Lord, is there something in my heart that maybe I've held against you or maybe some wickedness that I'm trying to hide from you? Lord, help me with it. Remember Joseph? Joseph, Mary's husband, married the, the mother of Jesus Christ, not the mother of God, the mother of Jesus Christ. Difference. You say, Jesus was God. I understand that, but she's not the mother of God. She's the mother of a man who was God manifest in the flesh. You say, I don't understand that. Read your Bible. Nonetheless, uh, that was my anti-Catholic hit for the day. But she she comes to Joseph and says, hey, I'm, I'm with child. I'm expecting. That's a big deal. She should have been put to death for that. And jo- Joseph doesn't fly off the handle. You know what he does? He goes, he goes home and he thinks about it, and he thinks about it, and he sleeps on it. The Bible says while he thought on it, the Lord came to him in a vision, in a dream, and said, Hey, don't worry about it. This thing's for me. She's with child of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's of the Lord. Well, that light, that understanding came to him while he just took a second to unplug and sit down and think about it. <clears throat> you know why all this stuff is, is troublesome to a lot of folks, saved and lost folks alike. You know why all this stuff going on in the country is so troublesome to people? People don't sit down and think about it. Now listen, you sit down and think about it, it might still cause you some trouble in your mind still might steal some of your peace and joy a little bit, but you'll at least be able to step back and say, well, I can see the big picture a little bit better now. When you discipline a child, the Bible says here, it says, neither be weary of his correction. Now, we'll get to the definition of that if we got enough time, but he says, neither be weary of his correction. That weary is from the root word where as in mama's going to wear your hind end out. So there's, there's that concept. And I was going to chase something, and I don't, I don't remember what it was. Let me try and think for just a second. I, I had something I was trying to say. Well, it'll, it'll come back to me, I guess, if, if it was that important.
Anyways, <clears throat> but he says the, the instruction is to not despise it. He says, and, and listen, the word despise, it means to contemn, to, to scorn, to disdain. That word contemn means to consider and treat as mean and despicable. Mean is not mean, but it's insignificant. Mean, the word mean means insignificant. It's small. The next definition that Webster gives for it is to slight. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big deal. To neglect as unworthy of regard. I can't tell you how many times I've seen folks do that. The Lord will do something. And listen, it, make no mistake about it, it's the Lord. The Lord's doing that stuff. And the Lord do something in your life and people look at it and say, nah, that's not a big deal. Really? <clears throat> there is nothing insignificant in your life. Remember that. Anything in your life, people talk about, people live... <clears throat> which I'll probably hit on this morning in the morning service, but people live in a state of mind to where everything is sensational. Everything in Christianity is sensational. And people talk about everything that happens happens for a reason. And the basic place where they get that idea from is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And that's not what the verse says, but that's where they try and pull the concept from. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. Okay, well, what about all the bad stuff that's happening to you? Yeah, that happens for a reason. God's, God's trying to work something in my life. Well, that's true. He is trying to work something in your life, but are you paying attention to what he's trying to work in your life? I'm not going to go there this morning, but Hebrews chapter 12 says, he talks about this issue of chastening. We'll probably hit this next week, I, I expect. But he talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, when the Lord chastens you, he said, you've got fathers after the flesh that chasten you. They do it for their, for their own pleasure, which is a wild statement. That's a, that's a mouthful. But then he turns around and he says, but the Lord does it for our profit. It's for your benefit. When the Lord chastens you, he does it for your benefit. And he tells you what that benefit is, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So when the Lord chastens you, He's doing it because He's trying to make you cleaner. He's trying to make you pure. He's trying to make you more holy. And so when a, when a jack leg sits back, saved or lost, particularly saved folks, because that's who the Lord's interested in as far as holiness goes. The way that a lost man gets holy is he gets saved, first and foremost. Then there's a process of discipleship. But nonetheless, when you take a saved man and God starts sending chastisement, he starts sending correction, the thing that he's trying to affect, the thing that he's trying to bring about in that person's life is holiness. Well, when you sit back and say, well, I know that the Lord is trying to do something in this for me. Well, yes, he is. But that thing that he's trying to work is definable. It's not something that's surrounded. It's not something that's convoluted in this big ball of cloudiness that you don't understand what he's trying to do. It comes out in statements like this. It comes out in statements like this. I just don't know what the Lord's trying to do with me. Well, why not? You should. And I'll tell you what the Lord's trying to do with you. Listen, if you're going through something this morning, if you're suffering in some capacity, I will tell you exactly what the Lord's trying to do. God is trying to make you holier. I got God's Word on it. Now, how the, the measure, the capacity, the, the aspect 
in your life that which God is trying to deal with you about, I may not know that. Maybe you've got a problem with some particular sin over here and God's dealing with you about that. Maybe you've got some fault or some weakness over here that God's trying to deal with you about this. But I know this, when God sends out His chastening hand, it's so that you can be a partaker of His holiness. <clears throat> David got over there and the Lord sent uh, Satan to tempt David to number the children of Israel. Well, God sent, sent him pestilence over that thing. You say, what was that all about? Chastening. I, I think that it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say that God was trying to make David a partaker of his holiness. I don't think that would be too much of a stretch. Well, you could go through the entire Scripture, and when God's dealing with one of his own, what God's trying to produce is cleanliness, purity, holiness. And so what I started out talking about, how people stand around and they say, well, I just don't know what the Lord's trying to produce and really, I'll be honest with you, what I believe that that is is nothing more than an attempt by a man's conscience to dismiss the chastening hand of God. It's an attempt to soothe his own conscience. <clears throat> I know that God is doing this for a reason. I'm spiritual enough to recognize that. Okay, but you're not spiritual enough to recognize why he's doing it. And listen, all you've got to do is just read the Bible. That's all you've got to do. Okay, but I'm spiritual enough to recognize that God is doing this. Okay, well, why can you not tie the two things together to recognize that God wants you to be cleaner? Is there anybody in this building this morning or listening to the service at home this morning? Is there any of you that have achieved a place of 100% perfection? I mean, sinless perfection is what I'm talking about. Anybody? Okay, then what that means is that you've got room to grow. And so chastening, chastening is going to be a way of life. It's coming. There's always going to be something that God is going to be dealing with you about. Therefore, it's meet for God to send trouble. There's, it's meet for God to send trial. It's meet for God to send tribulation to deal with you about that stuff. I detect a little bit of unbelief, and I'm not going to twist your arm about it, but I could, I could imagine in the back of somebody's mind, either listening to this at home or maybe some of you folks sitting here this morning, you sit back and you look at a guy who seems to be a good fella, and you step back and look at this guy, and one of his children, get, one of his children dies. You say, well, man, what is that? Could be chastening. You say, man, I just, I don't, I don't believe that. What about Job? The Bible said God's estimation, God's estimation of Job was that he was an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. What room did Job have for growth? Well, obviously he did because when you get towards the end of the book, God is chewing Job out. Where were you when I created the world? See, there's something, there was something lurking in there. There was something hiding in the shadows in Job's heart that Job wasn't even aware of. And so you can get mad with a preacher for saying, hey, God's sending you that judgment to make you cleaner. You can get mad with him at that. But listen, that's not, 
It's not because the preacher's being a jerk. It's just because that's what God is trying to do according to the Scripture. God's trying to make you cleaner. And listen, I'm not, I don't say that to slight the issue that you're dealing with, to slight the problem that you're dealing with, but it doesn't change the fact that God wants you to be cleaner. God wants you to be more holy. And listen, let me say this in closing, which i still got some other stuff that we'll cover. We'll try and hit it next, next week. But let me say this. That the reason that the Lord does that stuff is not because He hates you. He does that because He loves you. Look at the next verse. Proverbs 3, verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. God's not trying to get you to be a partaker of His holiness because He enjoys being cruel. God's, God's doing that because God really, really loves you and He wants you to, to resemble Him more. Not your father, the devil. That's right. So, so when the Lord unleashes chastening, it's not a thing of, God, man, God, you're being, you're being cruel to me. Now listen, let me say this in preparation. I think we may hit this tonight in the evening service, but you've got to get that concept nailed down in your heart. You've got to get that, that idea that the reason that chastening comes is so that you can be a partaker of God's holiness. And the reason that you have to get that concept understood in your heart and at least accepted, whether you understand it or not, I guess you could debate about that, but you've got to accept that because what happens when somebody in the church, in the local assembly, is living like a fornicator? And you have to put them out like the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, you're doing that to be mean. No, we're doing that so they'll get right. That's what he covers in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which, Lord willing, we'll get to tonight. But see, it's not, it's not something cruel. It's something that God's doing to work holiness in your life. Amen. Amen. All right. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness, Lord, and your mercy. We do pray, God, that you take the word of God and deal with the, with the hearts of your people. And God, help us, Lord. Give us understanding, Lord, and help us, God, to love you more and more. And we'll thank you for it. God bless the morning service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.